Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. You know, we're sitting here talking about the idea of feeling safe and that's relevant and valuable, obviously, in relationship. And and if we really are sovereign beings, like it's, I don't I don't have to be treated that way. Like I have every right, married, not married. I don't care what, you know, legal binding document you got. Um, it doesn't guarantee you that somebody is beholden to the way that you treat them, right? Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Wow, I am so pumped to have both John Kim and Vanessa Bennett on the podcast. Writers, TikTok celebrities, podcasts, aficionados, therapists, coaches. I mean, you guys have every title available, I think. Parents. Parents. <laughs> Parent, yeah, that was significant. Couple. 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 Not married. Not married. Um, interracial, which is actually now the norm. Yeah, which, which is the new not interracial. Yeah, man, I grew up in the 80s where if you saw an Asian man and a white woman, it was like, whoa, it was so weird to me. Um, and, and this is why I gravitated toward Bruce Lee. I feel like he was the first one to really kind of do that. There were a lot of Asian women with white men because- well, a lot of fetishizing fe of that. Yeah, yeah, like the whole Asian yeah. women being yeah. the submissive. And also with military, yeah. with military stuff, but- you rarely saw an Asian man with a Caucasian woman. And I think because in the 80s, um, Asian men were like, you know, long dug dong and nerds and um, they they weren't uh, attractive. And so to see an oh, Asian That guy, like actually hurts my heart to hear you say that. I know, right? Yeah, I, right? I, I like, like I feel that. my heart actually ache. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends is, I mean, I have, I have so many Asian friends. I don't know, maybe just where I grew up, but one of my best friends is Chinese and he was talking to me about how 
if you look at the history of Hollywood, like other than Bruce Lee and yeah. his son who both passed is like, there were really till, um, crazy rich Asians, there were mm -hmm. no leading Asian men who were romantic interests, which really does shape culture, which it's when he pointed it out, I was like, wow. And I remember seeing, I think it's a Korean rapper. I forget. His, I think he was Korean where he took his face and put him on all the leading men in his rap song of all these, like the Titanic and mm. just singing about that. And I just thought, wow, you don't, you know, it, it's crazy how much it shapes what people look for. And I think match.com's yeah. data also shows that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the least clicked on um, profiles are Asian men still. Yeah. Thank wow. God I'm not single, Mark. <laughs> Good thing you are now a Asian sex icon. <laughs> look at that hair. I mean, how could you not be? Hey, can I brag about myself real quick? Uh, before we came on, uh, so I have a hole in my mouth from getting a tooth pulled. And so it's very su suspect, susceptible of a cav or susceptible. Not, yeah, of inf infection. <laughs> and yet I put Listerine into my mouth. So I smell fresh for my partner. See, that is so nice. That is, that is love. <laughs> that is very thoughtful. Yeah. You burnt a hole in your mouth for your partner. You potentially hurt yourself yes. just to make sure you yes. smell nice for you. <laughs> Well, that's um, it. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. That's all we wanted. To, that's the lesson right there. Burn your mouth. I love it. All right. with bows, burn your mouth. Yeah. It's a good thing that you wrote the book. It's not me. It's you. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Perfectly titled. And I actually, I, I love the title of it. All the books that you guys, that you have written and now that you've written together are well titled. And I think of uh, my, I used to have another, uh, account a private account on instagram and essentially the name of it played on it's not me it's you oh interesting you know but really it's uh so i'm curious this book you've written together mm -hmm. so journey of relationship two relationship experts writing about relationship is it also memoirish mm -hmm. yeah it's it's part memoir part i mean self-betterment i guess you would call it but i think we did that purposely because you know there's this like misconception that therapists have their shit together yeah. <laughs> and it's just not true, right? Like we're humans and flawed just like everybody else. And so part of the memoir aspect was important to us because we wanted to see, we wanted to show people that all of these things that we talk about in the book are things that we struggle with in our relationship, right? So it felt really seamless to say, here's, I don't know how many chapters there are, but let's say 10 topics that we see our couples that we work with as therapists struggle with the most and also happen to be the things that we struggle with the most too. There's a reason for that, right? We should talk about it and go deeper. So I also think it helps just humanize us. Yeah. I think when people have put other people on pedestals to hear their human relatable experiences, I think that's what's really changed in sort of the therapeutic coaching world, especially the therapeutic world, at least in my experience is I remember running a retreat with a therapist and I was self-disclosing and she often would not self-disclose yeah. because it was against her, um, what she had been trained. But then I remember seeing, um, what is his name? He's like the godfather of group therapy. He wrote Love's Executioner. Wow. Yeah. I heard yeah. him speak at a therapist conference and he was saying, you know, maybe one of the greatest disservices we've done in our profession is not broader, you know, broader shown that we are on the same level, essentially. I love and so it's, 
He's oh my God. It was He's like also, you know, not the whole tangent, but he, one of the things he said, I saw him at the psychology conference a few years back. And one of the things he said, somebody asked him, what was your top advice for a therapist? Right. Cause it was like a stadium of 8,000 of us. And the number one thing he said is keep your ass in therapy. And I, <laughs> I clapped, I stood up and I was like, Oh, it's like all therapists should be in their own therapy. And I'm like such a proponent of that, but I love to hear him say that. So just matter of fact to a room of therapists. Anyway, <laughs> I haven't been in therapy for years. That's not true. Last year, you were. <laughs> about a year, a year and a half. Do as I say, not as I do, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I started going to therapy, and the therapist saying, uh, "You know, a lot of the roots of your behavior are from your childhood. How was your childhood?" And I was like, "I had a great childhood." And you it's usually, the indicator. We're like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> I could see her go, "Uh huh." <laughs> like, okay. And it's not that I didn't have a great childhood, but a lot of the way that I saw my childhood didn't allow me to see the actual experiences. You know, I was so busy wanting my parents to appear as being great parents mm -hmm. that I didn't allow themselves them to also be human, which allowed me to experience where I didn't get my needs met or I was the youngest. And how did that impact me? And, mm -hmm. you know, it, how did, you know, their relational structure, how they dialogue impact me? And, I think a lot of that that journey into therapy is you don't realize the richness you get from it or the coaching or whatever you yep. might identify with in order to just do some self-inquiry. And I'm curious in writing the book, which I'm guessing also translate into the experience of the book, what did you guys learn more about each other? And then how did that translate into what you were writing? I'm curious. Yeah. So for me, it was terrifying. Um, at first, I thought it was a good idea because I've always wanted to write a relationship book. And I thought, oh, this is an opportunity for um, me to collaborate with with my own partner. And so um, I didn't think about that she would check me as well. Right. So um, I'm no longer the expert. We kind of were we're both experts, you know, quote unquote. So yeah. we're also both uh uh, uh, can be patients in a way too. So we're kind of chucking each other. And uh, when you're writing something, um, you're replaying things. So a lot yeah. of things are stirred. A lot of things come back up. Um, we didn't have a, a smooth start in the beginning. It was actually rocky. In your relationship, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I was ambivalent because I was trying to be single on purpose. And I um, um, was sold the idea of the one. And I thought, okay, you know, um, I met you at what? I was like 45-ish? Yeah, you were just about to turn 46. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I'm swimming toward 50. The next one's going to be the one. And so when I met Vanessa, um, I didn't want a relationship. I wanted debauchery. You know, I wanted to do everything that I didn't do in the 20s because I was in a relationship. Like, I would have one-night stands and wake up with people that I didn't like and, you know, do do drugs. and have <laughs> Like, that was my whole thing. And uh, I didn't Sorry get far. Sorry, I ruined that for you, <laughs> Mark. I didn't get far. I got, I got, um, I, I think uh, maybe like a half experience. You know, it's very innocent. And then I met Vanessa, and so the result of that was a lot of ambivalence, uh, a lot of one foot in, one foot out. And so she had no tolerance for that. Yeah, and I think as far as the writing oh, goes, go I, re I remember John saying to me after reading a part that I had written. So we were using Google Docs, and we would just kind of both add to it. You know, whenever we had time. And I remember him saying to me, reading one part about this beginning that was so hard and him being like, oh, that's really hard to read. Like there was a part of it that I don't think that maybe we'd never talked about. I talked about this part where I was, we were in Costa Rica and we'd had a big fight. And I basically, in my head was like, okay, after this trip, this is it. I'm not doing this with him anymore. 
and I'm like laying in the jungle in a canopy, you know, like overlooking and I'm WhatsApping with my friends back in the States and we're all like, fuck him, fuck him. He's an asshole. Fuck him. You know, he's like, it's all show. Like he doesn't actually have any self-awareness. I mean, we were just like ripping him apart. Right. And so I actually talked about this in the book and he was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) No idea. Like, Where's this WhatsApp group? And he also knew the two people. He didn't know that they were talking shit. So it was, it was interesting writing, uh, interesting experience. I mean, that, that would be hard to hear, of course, because you have Mm -hmm. this awareness of, and I think, you know, where feedback has been delivered from my partner too, you know, meeting someone who can meet us and vice versa, right. Which is really how a relationship is always supposed to be. But actually I spent so much of my life running from people who could meet me because I Mm -hmm. knew that if I did, I would, I would be called out. I would be called for it. I'd be vulnerable. That's what you said in the book. That was like one of the things you actually said was like, oh shit, I've met my match basically. <laughs> yeah. But she's the avoidant. Are you an uh, anxiously attached Mark? Or like, where do you avoid? swing? <laughs> yeah, or, I mean, you're, I'm, I'm sure you're more secure. I'm more prone to anxiety with people who are avoidant. It, it, when I was in my running away from people who could call me forward, I was definitely avoidant. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I met someone who was a little more avoidant, like Kai was, mm-hmm. I was more anxious, at least in my years when I met her, I was more prone to security. So I could feel my anxiety and, and sort of like stand my ground or, or allow space so she could come towards, because I used to always take that space away. How has that shaped your guys' experience in relationship? Oh, a lot, man. So I'm anxious, right? I hold on to her leg. She's avoidant. She runs. Um, I mean, you know, there's a spectrum, right? So we were, we're, uh, we're super activated. Yeah. When we're activated, we've done a lot of work, of course. Yeah. Um, we also have very different love languages. Um, I'm words and, uh, words make me very uncomfortable. I can write all day, yeah. but actually like looking you in the eye and telling you why I think you're amazing in the spot. I'm like, uh, uh. And I, I need <laughs> that. Like, can I just write you a note? I'll just pass it to you. <laughs> you can just read it later on your own we, time. We, we always say, um, if I wrote Vanessa's name in the sky, she would ask like, how much did you pay for that? <laughs> so true. And I'd be like, I wrote your name like, in the you fucking sky. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm all about, you know, words and you're beautiful and, and blah, blah, whatever. And uh, not getting that in return was really difficult until I realized she's more about acts of service. We have a story um, and I'll let Vanessa tell it, um, but this was kind of ter- the turning point. Um, I found her, her earring and this is, this is a, uh, uh, it was a huge revelation for me as far as how we love each other. Well, I think it also, it goes even beyond how we love each other. I mean, look, relationships provide such an amazing mirror, right? Because you get this mirror back to yourself of yourself and then you get to go, oh shit, there's so much more to work on there. There's so many more revelations I didn't even realize. So I was getting ready for clients. This is back when I was seeing like back to back, you know, eight hours of clients kind of thing. And I, I was rushing and I was late. And just as I was getting my earring, I dropped one of my nice earrings down the sink. And I remember being like, fuck, and like stomping up and down, you know, John comes running up. Oh my God, something's wrong. And I'm like, just leave it there. I'll get it when I'm, I've got time in between sessions. I put a towel over the sink. Just don't touch it. And at some point I came back and he had gone to the hardware store. And you understand. I mean, I hate to say, no, yeah, I'm not that kind of John dude. doesn't know how to swing a hammer. <laughs> like he's not that guy. So I can do burpees for time. I could do burpees very fast. <laughs> but I'm usually the one hanging things, right? So he like went to the hardware store, got the specific kind of wrench, took out like the bottom of the sink, found the earring. And then not only did that, but he put it all together, cleaned it all up. And I was like, 
shocked by this. And I went and told all of my friends. But she didn't tell me. But I never told him. I was like, this was amazing. It made me feel so amazing. And like, I don't know, a year later, I was retelling this. And he was like, what? Like, you never told me. About, I didn't get credit for, for something. <laughs> about this story. And so yeah. it was just such an interesting experience for us to realize um, the difference in love languages. I also think for me, it was important to realize that words of affirmation don't have to be some looking you in the eye in that moment and saying, I find you so amazing. It was more like, hey, I really appreciate the way that you did X, Y, and Z. It made me feel X, Y, and Z. And that could be words of affirmation. I was complicating it more than it needed to be. So that was a pretty big uh, learning. So in in the beginning, because of that, that, um, that not, you know, us having different love languages and different attachment styles, I felt kind of undesired. Uh, And what did you feel? Um, in the beginning, well, it's funny. I think we both felt undesired in the beginning because there was ambivalence from right. you. And so I kind of got to the point where I essentially said like, should I get off the pot? Like I'm not, I'm, I'm into this. If you're not into this, that's cool. But like, tell me, cause I don't want to spend any more time, you know, doing this with you. But I think once we were in it, um, I think your amb- ambivalence made me feel pretty unsafe because I felt like I just couldn't trust that you were really in it. And then the anxiety for you tends to make me feel a little suffocated. So we, and I'm sure you can understand this as a lot of people listening, I'm sure can, when you've got that anxious avoidant dance and we're five years in and we still kind of struggle with that sometimes, you know, the anxiety kicks up. I feel, you know, unlovable or unloved or undesired. And then I'm like, stop asking me for it. And instead just turns into this (laughs) dynamic, you know, like I'm not giving you your words right now. (laughs) You know, I notice before I even notice that my nervous system can sense when Kai's gone into like more avoidance or like, mm-hmm. it's just a switch. And then all of a sudden I want to go into like repair or like overreach or my natural thing is to think I did something wrong and I need to fix this. Mm. And then I resent that I think I did something wrong, even though no one's actually said anything yeah. yet. I've created this all in my own head. But I wonder too, when you say that, it makes me, it makes me realize, you know, and I know you know this, but like the average person out there, I think social media is wonderful, but also the downfall of social media with mental health is that we make things a little too simple sometimes, you know, these like little posts with check marks and like you're codependent if, and it's just like one, two, three, um, you know, ways to not be anxious. Exactly. It's like, they're not that simple, right? Because I, I definitely fall on more of the avoidance scale, but what you're talking about is totally me. I sense it within him immediately, probably before he even notices it, I sense it. And then I'm the, what's wrong? What did I do? And then in my head, I'm like, oh, here we go again. And then I go into my avoidant, like, screw this. Why do I bother? You know, so I don't know. It's like, where does it land on the attachment spectrum versus where does it land in the codependency spectrum versus where does it land, you know? so there's nervous system and... Totally. Yeah. You know, as you say that, I'm laughing thinking, Kai's probably thinking about my trigger and I'm only picking up on the fact it's like she's an algorithm above me, you know? <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> she's picked up that I'm anxious and I think that I'm picking up that she's avoidant, but it's only because she's only she avoidant. Because you're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really funny to think, and it's probably true. Because I kind of feel like the female sense just tends to it's like a radar that's Sometimes I think she's in the seventh dimension and I'm just operating in the third. Like, mm. hey, can we talk about things? And she's like, I already did with your soul. Everything's good. <laughs> Where are you? You know? We've worked through it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. Do you feel more relaxed? I did that. Oh, <laughs> I do. That's weird. I do feel more relaxed. <laughs> Great. Yeah, exactly. So 
that idea, you know, of, of Rocky or I guess more challenging at the start, did that challenge both of your own narratives about relationship yeah. or yeah. it did? Because I know you've spoken about that before, um, John, about swimming past the breakers. Yes. Is that an awareness that you had through that? Uh, yeah, so yeah. the breakers, um, you know, and it, and there are still waves, right? So the the breakers in this relationship, um, the differences as far as uh, attachment styles, love languages, are 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 differences in sexual desire and what sex looks like. Uh, we have a funny story where when I was first dating Vanessa, I because I'm a, I'm a little bit kinky, Mark, and I said, I know, um, I know not crazy kinky. I don't like to be like we don't have a sex dungeon. Hey, here. listen, I like a good kink. I like it. She doesn't. I do. And I no said, um, we're, 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 it was fresh. We we're dating. I said, hey, um, can I slap you? <laughs> and she said, if you, if you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. And I was like, I was oh. very serious. Was By like, the way, like, this is cool. This People is an extra kink. Too, like I'm a New Yorker, and so there's a there's a little bit of that edge. <laughs> like we say, swimming past the breakers and the differences. But I would I would jokingly say that one of our biggest differences in the beginning was culturally being from LA and being from New York. That was a huge difference for us. But yes, I mean, there's just, meme created just about that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's so true. Yeah. Like he he was serious when he said, "Hey, can I slap you in a sexual way?" And I was dead ass when I was like, "Yeah." but I'm going to slap you back. And he was so like, oh, that is not what I meant. And that, well, that doesn't do Yeah, it, it doesn't me. work. That doesn't work. Someone someone has to, we can't both be dominant. Well, we can because I am. It's like just an endless slapping. <laughs> yeah, that's not hot. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm saying sharing that story because, you know, as a, as a kind of an example <laughs> of, again, you know, differences. And so yeah. um, because of these differences, uh, I had to swim past what was coming up for me, um, create new definitions and then start to see beauty in the contrast. So mm. the differences at first, um, I kind of highlighted and mm. used them, use them as a way to, to drift or say, maybe this isn't for me in the beginning. Right. And then after, you know, I, I, I started to see the differences and then tried to see the beauty in the differences. So mm -hmm. for example, the slap, mm. instead of saying like, Oh, we're not the same in the bedroom. Um, I started to get curious about, you know, what's her style, what turns her on, um, you know, what, what would that dance look like? Right. And across the board, you know, and, and I think there's a tipping point where you not only accept someone, but start to see beauty in the differences. That's where things start to tip. And I'm not saying that, um, it's like a slight switch and now it's done. It's, it's a, it's a practice. It's a challenge, you know, but, um, it's a lot better today than it was in the beginning mm -hmm. where I was rejecting the differences, taking a black light to our differences instead of seeing our differences as a good thing. Well, I actually will say too that, I mean, cause I had to be, I had to do the same thing cause clearly we're very different. When I start to notice myself getting into a place where I'm nitpicking the differences and I'm focusing on what bothers me about him because it's different than me. I, I'm at a place now where I'm able to be really aware of like, Oh, I'm slipping into that. Something's going on. Right. So I'm feeling disconnected from him. I'm resentful about something. There's some unmet needs happening. Something hasn't been spoken about. Because usually, I mean, I mean, to go back to more of the avoidant thing, that's kind of my way of putting up a wall, right? For most of us, that's our way of putting up a wall. This person's mm -hmm. different than me. And so clearly they're not meant for me. And let me nitpick all the ways why we're different. And it helps us defend, right? So uh, that's actually, for me, become a really good indication that there's something about myself that I need to pay attention to. Um, otherwise it wouldn't be coming up. Yeah. It's such a, to see beauty in that contrast, as you said, 
that is such a different way mm-hmm. of being, you know. Well, in general, in general, I mean, just to do that in life, right. man. Especially with your, yeah, with your friends, with anything. Especially right now. Right now, more than ever, right? Right. Which imagine if someone said, I see beauty in that Biden voter or Trump voter, you know, right. it's, it's not a fuck. If I see a meme that says that on, I would love that. If someone could make that, who's listening to this podcast, that'd be great. It's <laughs> such a different way of like, how do I learn from our differences? Mm-hmm. And, and it also removes the, my way is right. Your way is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that makes us mm-hmm. incompatible mm-hmm. as opposed to the beauty that you're two sovereign, different human beings really value your own independence and your purposes and your creation, which I know both of you, and I know you both are really um, purposeful and intentional in each of your individual work. Mm -hmm. And to have space for both of those things that what was the turning point where you might have both went from this isn't a match to, oh, I have met my match. Like, how did that? Because you go from the group chat in Costa Rica and the you know, the difference in love language is not feeling valued to being like, oh, wait, there's actually value in mm. what we're experiencing. And I, I would imagine that moment, because I definitely have experienced that moment where someone says, hey, like, you're either in this or you're not, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of safety that's created through that security in my experience where I've been the person saying that. And I've also heard someone say that. And when I said it, I saw the other person sort of relax, like, mm-hmm. oh, like they are about honoring themselves. So I'm not responsible for their feelings. Oh, and you see avoidance sort of relax or anxiety sort of relax in that state. So I'm curious, where was that turning point where you're like, oh, you're dope. We're still waiting for it, Mark. I think it's around the corner, you know, maybe a few months. We're uh, just past the breaker. Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking that question. Um, no. I think it comes in moments. So for yeah, me, it, it's um, it's not really a turning point. It's like I'll see her maybe uh, how she engages with our daughter or um, maybe it's a back rub, you know, or maybe it's a touch or a kiss or a glance. And it's like these little moments where I feel like, oh, this is why I'm with her mm-hmm. or this is why I love her or this is why I'm deciding to, um, you know, invest in this relationship. So, uh, yeah, it's not like this, oh, we turned the corner and now it's smooth sailing. Um, it's moments like that. I think for me, it's, it was in the safety. So, um, I remember in the beginning, so I, we got past that point of me saying like, are you in this or not? And then I remember there was still a little ambivalence, like you saying to me, how do you know? And me saying, I don't know. I don't, what does that mean? How do I know? Right. I'm like, but I, I guess I'm such a avid meditator and mindfulness practitioner that for me, it was like. I don't know, but in this moment, it feels good. In this moment, I'm enjoying your presence. In this moment, I want to see you again, right? And so for me, that was enough. And he really struggled with that because he was in his head so much and I was kind of trying to pull into my body. And so there was a little bit of um, kind of push-pull, I think, in that. And I feel for me, when when I gave him, I mean, essentially an ultimatum, really, and he said, okay, no, I, I, I am in this. I want to build this with you. You know, I do see the value in this. There was a sense of safety for me, um, not only in that moment, but I think perhaps because of my history and the kind of relationships I've been in, and I've been in relationships with people who struggle with substance abuse and just all kinds of different backgrounds. We won't even go into it. Um, every time him and I have conflict, and this probably is a little bit of a avoidance slash codependent thing. 
every time we have conflict and we come out the other side and I feel better about it, it reminds me like, oh, that's why I'm in this relationship. Because this yeah. idea of meeting your match, for me, that's in conflict because I am crazy conflict avoidant, but also I just don't have good experience with conflict, which is why I'm avoidant of it. And so every time he sits across from me and like validates me, says to me, oh, I can see how you'd feel that way, whatever the kind of validating response is, there is a piece of my brain that goes, right, click, <laughs> remember mm. that, remember that, remember that. So it's, yeah. it is in the moments, which is exactly what you said. But I think for me, the moments tend to be those moments, um, relational, I guess, moments, yeah. It's not when you see me doing the dishes. No. It's, it's after fights, <laughs> after conflict. Those moments too, buddy. Dishes for sure. Never, as Kai would say, never stop doing dishes. And I would, I'm like, well, I kind of want to. But I'm gonna. <laughs> we all want to. I, if we all stop, too, we'd right. do <laughs> Yeah, like I remember that movie, The Breakup, which looked like a comedy, by the way, uh -huh. in all its trailers, which was such a misleading totally. load of shit. Because oh, right, then right. you watch it, and she's like, "I want you to want to do the dishes," and he's like, "Why would I want to do the dishes? No one." Quintessential um, quote from a relationship yeah. movie. Yeah. How do you handle conflict then? Because I think, I mean, we're not taught it. I think generally we're not modeled it by government, corporation, parents, yeah. generally, right? Like obviously that's not true for everybody. We're not modeled it in school. We don't, I don't know for me, it might be different now, but I don't think there's like an emotional intelligence relational class in 99.9% .9 of schools, which I would argue is, Far more important than math. No offense to you, math 100%. majors. Are you telling me you don't yeah, use algebra or geometry every day? On a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> Trig trigonometry? What about sine, cos, and tan? I don't even... I don't even know what that is. I, I don't even know what multiplication tables. Typing Let's class. Let's not talk about this. You don't use your woodshop skills? That's dating me. <laughs> right. That's dating me. I would use those. That... Actually, woodshop. Yeah, yeah Actually, I, would I would use those. Use yeah, those. yeah. Yeah, you're in LA, so maybe not. But yeah, I'm... Curious, how do you navigate conflict or how, what were some of the massive awarenesses yeah. you have? Because you both also teach it, how to model it, how to do it. You teach it in the book. Uh, my, so my go-to, my easy or short answer to this is uh, reminding myself to try to understand before trying to be understood. Uh, and that comes from my story where most of my life I would go into conflict with my lawyer hat mm -hmm. uh, and I will argue shit. So one of my... Um, one of my aha moments was when I was married, we were in her car and she had very um, like porcelain skin. And uh, she said that from the sun driving, she would get all these sunspots. And I said, why don't you just tint the window? And she said, well, tinting the window isn't going to prevent the UV. And we argued for it in the car for an hour. And I had to prove to her that, and of course I wasn't about the tinted windows, but we argued about it. I wouldn't let it go because I was saying that, no, the tint does help, you know, my brothers in cars, whatever. And she said it, it wouldn't until she started breaking down and crying. And I realized that it had nothing to do with the tinted windows. She just wanted to be heard. You're right? like a dog with a bone. Yeah. And I wouldn't let it go. And so if you don't create that safe space um, and two people are holding on to their tug of war rope, it, the conflict, yeah, can be toxic. It can be proof that people don't feel safe, right? And so I think the first step is to create a safe space. First step is to um, be empathetic, uh, to be neutral, not to co go in defensive, holding up, you know, shields and wanting to win. Which is obviously really hard. For yeah, I still struggle with it. Why is that so hard? Because yeah. I get it. You know, it's like if Kai says something and I'm just like... That must be really, it takes, like, I got to dig. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. And it's not like 
a little surface deep. We're talking, I'm going into my soul and my soul's like, this is the right thing to say. And I'm like, look. It feels like a vasectomy. I haven't had one of those, but now I know. That only a very small population would know. I I, I think that it's... <laughs> I got one recently, Mark. included, so... Yeah. It's, it's Do you have one of those uh, chairs with a hole in the bottom right now? <laughs> donut. He's sitting in a donut, actually. No, I lost them at the hospital. Both testicles. They, um, they uh, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the tangents. Yeah, I... Uh, you're totally right, Mark. It's like people ask me all the time, you know, and again, this is this idea, this facade. We're on this pedestal. Like we somehow know how to do this better than other people. And it's like, no, let's be clear. I still want to yell at him and tell him he's an idiot. You know, sometimes it's it's just, <laughs> it's it's upbringing, it's wiring. I, I will say it's ego. I mean, listen, ego is important. There's a lot of talk out there about killing. It is, yeah. but there's a lot of talk out there about killing the ego. And that's not that's actually not the the best way or to do this. You know, I mean, ego is important. It helps us keep our sense of self. And it's also there to protect us. And so many of us grow up with this narrative of um, if I do something bad, air quotes around bad, if I do something bad, I am bad. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we, so we, we, we couple those together. And so, and I do for sure I do. And that was actually an aha moment for me in the, towards the beginning of our relationship where John made this comment. I don't even remember what we were fighting about, but you said something like, you know, this doesn't mean that you're, I don't know, like a bad partner or a bad person because I'm saying that, you know, I need you to work on this thing. And it seems so simple, but hearing that I was like, oh, wow, I actually don't think I ever realized until that moment how deeply those two beliefs were kind of intertwined and they still are. And so mm-hmm. I tend to go into the, John wants to talk about something and I go into my like avoidant, dissociate, leave my body, shut down. And I feel it. I can feel myself getting hot. I get into my head and that's where those thoughts come. Screw this. This is stupid. Why am I bothering this? You know. Um, and so part of my practice has actually been staying in my body, staying present in the fight, feeling the feelings of discomfort, maybe not speaking in that moment, just kind of biting my tongue and letting it happen. Um, So it's different, I think, for both of us. I just had a huge revelation slash tip. So when um, Vanessa and I have, because she's so confident of avoidance, um, when we have a hard conversation or if I have a, you know, I want to talk about something that, that, um, you know, has hurt me or something serious, um, if I really observe her, she kind of turns into um, a 15-year-old teenager oh, yeah. who, who's getting scolded Arms by, crossed by her mom. And, and um, yep, yep. Yeah, I'm looking away. Weird. I have a hard time making eye contact. It's it's. She just turns into a 15-year-old yeah. in her bedroom who was trying to climb out the window two days ago, right? And so when I notice that, suddenly I now have so much empathy because I don't see – the you know 38 year old 37 38 <laughs> i'm not even gonna correct i don't you. see the 30 uh, i don't see the adult vanessa always go with the lower exactly. i think it just round down always, <laughs> always round, round down, down. 30. 30 i think he said 30. he said 30. um but i i uh i see the 15 year old and and that makes me realize she has a story that makes me see and feel where the defense is coming from. And then I instantly kind of neutralize depersonalize. And, and depersonalize. And, and then I, and then I speak to the fit. It's so much easier to speak to the 15 year old Vanessa who is defensive because of fear or her story than the 30 uh, year old Vanessa <laughs> who, you know, um, has a sharp tongue and is a therapist. Is a New Yorker. 
a New York therapist. And doesn't like slaps. I was laughing earlier when you were saying like, I get more in my body and I pull John out of his, I was like, out of his head. I'm like, that's like the opposite of New York and LA. Like those are two switched roles. Right. It is. That experience of moving into curiosity and vulnerability, how has that transcended in your relationship? Like what do you experience now in your connection that perhaps you never experienced in previous ones that mm. that motivate you, I would imagine, because I'm sort of projecting and thinking about myself. Uh, even that age thing you said, it made me think when I look at Kai and she goes into that avoidant space, mm-hmm. how old she is and how much more compassion. I just felt myself go into my heart mm-hmm. much more to think like, oh yeah, that's, which is, which is really, a ri- that's a mindful experience to do in, in the conflict. It's easy for me to do right now because I'm podcasting about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's a great reminder. But I'm curious, what has transcended in your relationship or you experienced that's new and, and, and worth it all? Shit. I mean, somebody, for me, the biggest thing is somebody who's also committed to the growth, you know, and that that's not the same for everybody, but for me, that's really important. And, um, I think I, I many years ago, probably around like 24, 25, when I started on this kind of inner journey, it became really apparent to me that I wanted somebody who I felt like was an equal in that. Um, and I was with somebody who was not and actually dug in their heels to the point of being like, I will not be that person. Um, and as a matter of fact, like the the one white fight that I have in my mind always is him yelling at me, we don't always have to be growing and evolving. And me being like, yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Tony Robbins says you're dying if you're not growing. You're going to be dead. Yeah. And, it, and so I don't have to worry about that with John because there's always room for more growth and more understanding and a deeper connection. And so that's it for me. I mean, obviously there's other things, but that that's my number one always has been. Yeah, you know, for me, um, it's looking past the hard shell. Uh, the example we use where, you know, you slide me, I'm slapping you back. Like that hard shell past that is feminine energy, is softness, is milk, is a blanket, you know, it's a safe tree. Mm. So when I feel that, oh man, it's like, uh, I'm I just, I'm so thirsty for that, that it, um, I, it just uh, it makes me vulnerable. It makes me um, connected. It makes me turned on, and it makes me very attracted to her. It makes me all of that stuff, right? So um, I'm able to see that more than in the beginning because it takes a time to see past people's layers, you know. Well, and also your ability to create the safe space for conflict and the safe space for me knowing that you're committed to the growth makes me feel safe enough to allow myself to drop into the more feminine space, right? Because if you mm. don't feel safe you don't go into feminine, you stay in masculine because masculine is very protective. Mm-hmm. And I think most likely if I really have to look at myself with um, kind of a, go through a fine tooth comb with my, my relationships, I don't know that I ever really was able to drop much into Cause you, well, you're in defense space because right? I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't safe. So. Um, right. One of my biggest complaints in our relationship was that you're not quote unquote lovey dovey. Right. And it's funny because I have a master's, but I use words like lovey dovey. And uh, she, I think she was like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, you're, you're just melt, not. Melt into me. Yeah. I need you, you to melt into me. I need you to be more lovey dovey. Right. And it was because of the um, hard center, but it was also because of me and my ambivalence not creating a space for her to melt into me. Right. Can right. you cue the Her- song Melt Into You by, um, <laughs> by, uh, 
modern English. That's probably the kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. this part. Let's no. cue that in. Dun, yeah, yeah. Dun, dun. <laughs> it's interesting to think about requesting it and not providing this space. Right, for it. right. Like, and it's wow. hard. It's easy to request, right? It's very right. hard. And it's to how oppositional it. those energies are, too. You know, but I think we're not. You, we might be trained to ask for what we need, right? Like that could actually be a healthy, mm-hmm. I'm asking for what I need, but if we're not energetically providing it, you know, I think especially for the socialization that men have had to not like be in that vulnerable open mm-hmm. state, but that where we're embodying boundaries and purpose, but not from like a, and, and openness, but the openness not coming from a manipulative, nice guy trying to get, trying to get something, you know? Because like, man, women can smell that shit from miles away. Yeah. Right. Well, you know? and I also think that I wouldn't even say just men. I mean, haven't underneath patriarchal structures, haven't we all been taught that anything feminine is bad and wrong? So right. even women and, the war and, on women. and weak, right. even women, have, we were talking about me having a hard time softening. I mean, that's, that's ingrained in all of us, right? Like there's something intrinsically wrong or bad if you're empathetic and vulnerable and connected and, you know, all of these amazing, beautiful, necessary feminine qualities, um, we all, you know, have been taught to shun them. Once I got to the Tootsie Roll, Mark, you know, the, the candy, I had a break. There's an old commercial of how, how many, many licks does it take? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that was the whole beginning of our relationship. And finally I got to the soft center and, uh, that really changed things for me. I don't stay soft though. I mean, we, we go back and forth. Well, cause you're, you're saying soft as in soft is a weakness, but the, right. I'm not saying soft as a weak. I'm talking about no, transparency. I'm talking about vulnerability. Uh, energy. And, I'm talking- yeah openness and and yeah. uh, surrendering into yes you know one another but without the absence of other you know which is yeah. an interesting paradox to think about that we are surrendering into one another but we're also maintaining our sovereignty or identities mm-hmm. or right identities. we're not losing ourselves interdependence okay so what is the greatest challenge that you sort of wrote to in the book like for couples I'm curious, like what, is, which I would imagine then, or sorry, I, would, I wonder is what is the greatest challenge that you've seen in the work you've done with couples mm-hmm. that you wanted to really solve, I guess, in the, in this book? I'm going to speak for myself. I don't know that this book, at least my personal intention wasn't to try to solve. Like I, I don't love mm-hmm. calling myself an expert, even in just in anything. Cause like, who am I to say that I'm an expert? Right. Um, it was for uh, for me anyway. It was more about here is here is the landscape of the the biggest issues we see in ourselves and in other couples. Here's a lot of what we've been able to discover by tapping into some of these more feminine qualities, right? Um, and getting beneath the surface and being curious and being vulnerable and all of these. Um, and so take these tools and and use them if they work for you, right? Leave behind what doesn't. Um, but I think that if we were to able, let's say again, ten chapters or ten topics in the book. If, a, if everyone was able to use those 10 topics, because you can't go super deep into 10 things in one book. So there's only so deep yeah. we could go, right? It's like if you're able to take this yeah. almost as a, a cliff notes, and I don't want to minimize our writing, but a cliff notes of here are the things to really watch out for. To me, it's like a spark. That's what I hope to give is the spark of somebody to go, holy shit, I want to go deeper. I want to learn more about this. This resonates for me. How can I, how can I understand it more? Um, so that's kind of how I... I personally see it. Yeah, I think for me over the years, um, and by the way, I have no problem calling myself an expert. It's the only way to legitimize the 60000 I spent on my education and the six years of grinding. Dude, I had to do, we have to do Let me validate it, okay? Hours. I yeah. validate I worked for nonprofit for five years, yeah, man. Yeah, true. That's I'm true. an expert, Mark. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I also don't like that word. Um, 
for me, it, it's really, um, it, this is simplified, but this is kind of what I found with working with couples. Most people are doing life at or around, mm-hmm. not with. And so, and I say this all the time, but, uh, and I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but for me, I always ask myself, am I doing life with Vanessa or am I doing life at Vanessa or around Vanessa? So around would be not talking about hard things, you know, sweeping things under the rug, avoidant, right? right? Yeah. Taking the long way home for the wrong reasons. And then at would be iron fist. This is how things should be, should be done my way or the highway, that kind of stuff. Um, but with doing life with now the, the, um, the shield is down. Um, people are being vulnerable and open and, you know, again, it's the Tootsie roll, it's the soft center, it's, it's that stuff. And I think whether we're talking about intimate relationships or with friendships or even with our family, doing life with people is really hard, right? But doing life with people, because it it requires the vulnerability, um, the, 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 you know, the bridges instead of the the moats that we dig around our castle. So like doing life with someone, constantly asking yourself that and then asking yourself what that looks like is I think uh, what people are not doing. That's a great uh, analogy to think about how we orient to our partner. This thing, I, I, not till I started to really consider it, was I standing shoulder to shoulder or sh- side by side. Yeah, I, your uh, tinted window uh, example, <laughs> I could totally see myself winning that argument too. Yeah. So, you know. And, well, you're also and, a car guy too, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I would. I've talked about like, cars before. Like, I know. The action is yeah. in the glass. Yeah. Do you want me to Google this? <laughs> exactly. Although last yeah. time I Googled yeah. How many relationships do you think that Google has actually broken up yeah. <laughs> since becoming a thing? Let me tell you the fact. <laughs> in Alberta, we call the sticker on the back of your car a decal. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I was like, hey, we got to get a decal for the car. And she's like, what is a decal? <laughs> and I was like, the sticker on the back. And she's like, you mean a decal? And I was like, you americans butcher english so bad and i was like let's she's like no that's actually how it's pronounced and i was like nah so i google it and it's like decal and then i'm like oh fuck uk version decal and i'm like oh man i'm so wrong i was so wrong which i accepted but i just see the value in being able to to be reminded all the time that it's not about the content mm-hmm. almost all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the times it is, well, but sure. yeah. it's usually not about the content. It's usually that I'm busy or like that people are busy or that they're not, we're just not being mindful. I think sometimes our partner doesn't get the best version of us, which, which is kind of ironic, mm-hmm. you know, like we might save, we might use all our emotional resilience at work and then we come home and yeah. We don't, I mean, that's a, that's a really hard thing to even say, because I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Like when we actually check in, do they get the best version of me? Cause they're certainly the one most worthy of the best version. Sure. That's not the truth. But we forget, you know, the, the people that we're closest to usually are the people that we are the, the rudest to mm-hmm. the most don't impatient the with, best. don't treat the best. Um, and maybe because it's comfortable, you know, um, maybe a false, a false sense of safety, a false sense of security. I mean, yeah. you know, we're sitting here talking about the idea of feeling safe and that's relevant and valuable, obviously, in relationship. And, and if we really are sovereign beings, like, it's, I don't, I don't have to be treated that way. Like I have every right married, not married. I don't care what, you know, legal binding document you've got. Um, it doesn't guarantee you that somebody is beholden to, to the way that you treat them. Right. So, and I, and I think this goes back, you said a little bit of this, you know, Mark, it's like, 
we look at relate. I mean, this is the codependency thing. It's like this idea that relationships are very transactional. Like I own you and you owe me this. Like, because I love you, you have to act this way or you need to fill this mm. need for me. And it's like, right. no, no, that is not how relationships work at all. And if we stopped looking at them in a trans through a transactional lens, I mean, a lot of relationships would crumble, I think, first of all. Um, but also the ones that do stay, how much deeper and more potent they could actually become, honestly. Did you guys notice a transit? Because you said that in your language. So I'm curious. Did you guys notice a transition? Because in your language, you said, I went from like thinking so much about, is this the right choice in 14 years versus this is the right choice now. And that's mm -hmm. what matters. Like, can I create a future with this person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. But I'm going to keep checking in with myself. And I know with Kai and I, one of the biggest transitions in our relationship 1.0 to 2.0 was that there really is this experience of honoring each other's choice to be there. Mm -hmm. Like I think to myself often, she has, you know, far more choices than I do. You know, she, out of everyone she could choose, she chooses me. And that is such an honor, like to right. think about if I really sit with that, that's like, wow, thank you. And what would I do with that? Knowing the value of that, you know, we, I think we sometimes, um, because we think, getting married or accepting a relationship request on do people even use Facebook anymore? But you know, that, that we somehow have them. Yeah. It's the finish line. You know, Maybe. did you guys notice a, a shift for you from transactional or was that not really there anyways? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think transactional just shows up rather than it being kind of a larger topic. I can still see it showing up in like my codependent tendencies um, yeah, I think, too. I think slipping into that by nature, codependency leads us down that transactional path. Right. So I can definitely still sense it creeping in. Um, you know, you owe this to me. I owe this to you. Um, you know, and I, we've had, we've been in a recent, recent iteration of our relationship, really in this conversation around needs, like romantic needs, sexual needs, intimacy needs. And, um, I think, I mean, I would say poor John has definitely met me in a time in my life where I'm like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. Smash the patriarchy, you know, um, no more fucking performative sex, you know, all these things that women deal with. It's and funny because I was telling her, wait a minute, before me, you were doing all these things. Uh, I mean, for the wrong reasons, of for course. For the wrong reasons. But man, your ex yeah, yeah. got all the sex they wanted. They yeah. got all the times that you didn't want to do. You just did it for them. And I'm the guy that got, nope, here's the hard line. Yep. You need to go. Yep. You know, it's like, it. if it's not a hell yes, <laughs> it's a no. And I'm going to honor myself. And that's where a lot of that codependency work is coming into play. Also, I have a daughter now, which has really amped up, especially as a woman, what that means to like, you know, be... I don't know, be like, treat myself with the kind of reverence that I would want my daughter to treat herself with, right? Um, mm, Mark, I'm lonely. <laughs> joke out of that. It's serious, but... Yeah, but, but I mean, that, but that being said, that we, we, uh, we do compromise. I mean, um, yeah, if you don't want to do something, of course, you, you shouldn't. But I think uh, there's a lot of times you do give, even if you um, are tired or don't. You well, know. right. And that could be like the whole doing relationship with versus well, around or at. Well, that's just part of being in a relationship. Right. You know, it's, right. it's not Both like stretching each other. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're like on, two, if you're completely, okay, wait, let me check in with myself. No, I don't want pizza or let me, okay, no. <laughs> I, if you do too, I think too much of that, there is, 
then we really have kind of people in silos. You Rigidity. Know? Yeah. So I, I, I also don't, I also fear swinging the pendulum swinging the other way too much. Yeah. yeah you can end up with too much rigidity. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely, or too much openness, right? Mm-hmm. It's like One codependency again, always sneaking in. I, always sneaking in. <laughs> I mean, I definitely met Kai in, in the same, uh, Revolution, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Revolution sounds like a good word. <laughs> yeah, and I remember just one sitting there and her like going off about the page, something to do with the patriarchy. And I was listening and I just sat there and I was like, wow, like this rage is so valid. I, I believe it was kind of just post the real height of Me Too, mm-hmm. um, the Me Too movement, which I think all of us who were empathetic to the experience, like feeling it, we're really experiencing a lot of anger and rage and all that, you know, and, and I just remember sitting there witnessing her rage and I was just like, wow, (laughs) wow. Which is what changes worlds, you know, ultimately. And it's also interesting to check, like to check my own personal, what was like not even realized male entitlement, you know, about maybe sex or maybe about expectations or maybe I, oh, not to say that I was in the wrong or whatever, you know, maybe sometimes, but to just have the awareness around it, just to be like, wow, that there's a lot of things that I wasn't paying attention to that are in a woman's experience that I'm very aware of. So I, I recognize that I've definitely, that rage has simmered a little, yeah. but maybe because there's space in the relationship for it, you know, and yeah. within the men that we know and within the women that we know. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's anger and rage transmuted, right? Is, is one of the most powerful, like you said, agents for change, but when it's not given a platform or given a space to be able to be expressed healthily, it turns into a lot of toxic, you know, just toxic, everything, toxic behaviors, toxic emotions, toxic, everything. So, um, I mean, anger, I think, especially for women is, is a tricky emotion, right? We were taught that we're not allowed to feel it. Women don't feel anger. You know, it's not feminine to be, to be angry. And so, in and of itself, we've got an interesting relationship with anger to kind of work through. And I think finding somebody that actually allows you to dance with that relationship and actually like touch in, touch out, touch in, experience it, turn it over in your hands. That is so powerful for a woman. I mean, I should only speak for myself, but I know a lot of women who would say the same. Um, so I would say I commend you and I commend you, John, because that that's, that's also hard. I mean, there has to be something to be said for it being hard to hold that. Um, you know, you've got generations and generations and generations of rage yeah. coming through probably one, one woman in that moment, right? It's a lot to hold. Well, to depersonalize it, but also be accountable or, or audit yourself for where it can be personalized. You know, it's yeah. an interesting bridge to hold, but necessary, you know, and if I think in relationship, whether you're male or female or anything in between access to rage is like clean anger, right. just clean anger, you know, mm-hmm. which isn't destructive. Clean anger is actually very constructive. Mm-hmm. It draws lines. It's, it says, I love you, which is really a fascinating thing because most people's experience of anger uh, is not, it's aggression. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's obviously not helpful at all. And that's most people's experience. Totally. That's why so many of us are afraid of it. <laughs> we, one one of the things that I've been able to witness with her is uh, motherhood. And so, um, you know, which is a whole another topic and um, watching her, whether it's sleep deprived or, um, you know, just uh, another human, you know, pulling on her and draining her energy. Um, I'm able to see that and definitely be more empathetic of accepting where she's at. And 
Yeah, that's a not whole putting new. expectations and all that. Ooh, talk about mirrors, man. That's a whole new level. Especially as somebody who skews more avoidant, I'm like, everybody stop touching me, stop talking to me, stop asking me for things, leave me alone. <laughs> there are so many needs here. <laughs> so yeah. many needs. Like, yeah. I just want to crawl into a hole. <laughs> She's being hugged by an octopus now. Many, <laughs> exactly. many hands. Oh, Yeah. I um, bet. I was talking to Stefanos, Stefanos, yeah. you know Stefanos? Stefanos? Yeah. And he was saying that being a father has been like the most transcendent, most yeah personal growth he's like you think you've done personal growth like wow it's yeah, true also his little one is little wait until wait until she's a toddler because i know he just had his baby so i'm like oh honey sit down you haven't even gotten there yet wait until they look <laughs> you in the face and say something to you that you know you've said in the past and you're like "Ooh, i don't like the way that hears or sounds when it's coming back at me. <laughs> she does that shit that's all amazing the time. oh god in the car she'll go come on lady and i'm like who are you talking to? She's like the lady in the car. And I'm like, Oh God, she hears me. like yell at people in the car too. <laughs> Come on lady. Oh, that's so good. Yep. Check Vanessa. Check. Okay. Pay attention. <laughs> For those listening. I, first off, actually, before we even get in that, thanks so much. I mean, this has been a really wonderful conversation. I've had a lot of great laughs, a lot of great insights, and I'm sure everyone listening has too. And um, I just appreciate you both so much. You, you're both friends. You're both incredible teachers. And, um, you know, for everyone who's listening, where they, where can they find the book? Mm-hmm. Where can they find more of both of you? Obviously, I said you're TikTok star. So make sure <laughs> we'll put all the links out in the bottom to make sure we get everyone. I mean, I would say both. same back to you too. Much, much respect and much love. For yeah. And I, I also want to say um, we met online and I know we met in person once or twice um, I feel a strange kinship towards you. And I think part of it is because uh, you and I have been creating a dialogue about love um, mm-hmm. also as men. And, yeah. very, you know, not so much now, but fuck, 10 years ago, I felt very alone on this, you know. And so uh, uh, meeting someone else who's doing the same, following you and your story that kind of parallels um, even though we don't hang out, kind of watching you and 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 uh, you do your thing, always made me feel a little less alone. So yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for um, thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for this, and um, yeah, thank you for having us on your podcast. The book, uh, just our socials. You know, you could just click our bio link. So I'm at the Angry Therapist across the board. And- um, I mean, I wish I had it across the board, but my name is not as uh, untaken uh, untakenable as yours. Um, on Instagram, I'm Vanessa S Bennett. Uh, TikTok. I'm the Cody Yoda for right now. Um, but our book is called It's Not Me. That's it's a new. great name. I, I think it's fine. That was somebody actually in one of my group classes named me that. And I was like, oh, I like that. I'm going to trademark that. That's a great name. <laughs> Yoda of Coda. Yeah. That's I mean, uh, he's not wrong. It's not me. It's you. Yep. Find it at Why? every retailer yep. online, all the places. Mm-hmm. Audiobook. Yep. yep. Which we recorded ourselves doing our interest. So yep. we've got people that have read, listened to it and said, oh, this is fascinating because rarely do you have two authors like that doing the back and forth. So apparently it's an interesting experience. So, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone go check them out. Go pick up the book and much love. Appreciate you both. Thank, Thank you. you, Mark. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.